Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Trail Mix here at Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. Trail Mix is our short form episodes of the show, and it allows us to explore topics we didn't get to cover in our long form episodes. This episode is being released on Monday, December 21st, which is very near a very special day in the American democratic process, because a week ago from today was the Monday after the second Wednesday in December. And what day is that, Mike? That's the day Abraham Lincoln comes out of his groundhog hole (laughs) and he sees his shadow and it's whether democracy lives again another day or dies. Right. It's actually the day that our electors from the Electoral College go and cast their vote for president based on the choice the people made in the general election. And since this process is one of the least talked about parts of the democratic process, we wanted to break it down today. Okay, so when did you learn about the Electoral College? I think it was probably from my history teacher in high school, Mr. Martin, who was one of my favorite teachers. I had him for U.S. history and AP U.S. history Uh my sophomore and my senior year. So I feel like that was definitely the time in my life where I was like, oh, this is a thing. It was also, I believe, I was in his history class when the Gore-Bush election was going on. And so this was like, we did current events like every Friday. And that was like, it became like current events every day because it was an ongoing onslaught of just news all the time, all day, every day. Of things unexpected. Of unexpected news. So I feel like that's kind of the first time I really got a sense for what it was because voting is usually based off of popularity. As we've learned from, you know, anytime you want to run for (laughs) class president. (laughs) Right, right. There ain't no electors at my high school. (laughs) No. So my bid to become undersecretary to the secretary, you know, was a flop. Naturally. Naturally. It's not a real thing. What about you? (laughs) Did you win your bid to become undersecretary? I actually remember learning about it from my mom, who my mom is was always so good about not being afraid to explain Mm -hmm. complicated processes to me like as a child but she 
as is the case with most people, when a kid asks you like, well, why, what's happening, right? Like, I remember watching the presidential election with her when I was, I guess it was the 92 election. Mm-hmm. I was five or something. And then I was asking her about like votes being counted. And then I, there was speak of electoral college on the news. And I was like, wait, what's that? And so, I mean... Trying to explain the Electoral College to anyone is difficult. Mm-hmm. And then to a five-year-old, I just was like, but why? Why is that? And obviously, she was like, I don't have all of the answers right. for you at this time. And you have to accept that. And I was like, well, I don't. <laughs> and nothing's changed. <laughs> was waiting for you to make that joke. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. That was the first time that I did hear about the Electoral College. Mm. To which I was like, I, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me at this time. Yeah. And then later, as I got older, I started to understand it more and more. Also, like being five years old and knowing what the word college meant and then having it applied to this thing, mm-hmm. which is not the same thing. No. And so, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That was, I, I do remember that was my first sort of foray into trying to understand what it was. The Electoral College is a process and not a place and was supported and defended by Alexander Hamilton and was created as a compromise between two ideas. Those two ideas being Congress electing the president and then the president being elected by qualified citizens. I say qualified because that is the word that the National Archives uses. Qualified citizens. Qualified, I know. Which, let's be honest, meant white men who Mm -hmm. owned property. What a shock. What a shock, right? Mm -hmm. I just am like, ooh, America. I mean, we're really, hopefully, starting to learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. But this idea of, you know, this is one of many steps along the road of like, Right. In this world that is created for all people, I say in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. but yet all people are not included. Sure. But I mean, also, you know, it wasn't like America wasn't in good company around the world at the time, as far as making white men the people who were in power. Oh, certainly. I'm not. I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate. No, I'm saying it was. I'm defending America wholeheartedly. America was certainly not unique Mm -hmm. in that position. No. But it is not um, something that we can deny. Oh, no. If the point was for the people to elect our government positions, Mm -hmm. then why are there so many barriers to electing government positions? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we elect Congress. Like, at the time, like, there was this whole sort of debate over, like, well, if the people elect Congress, then Congress should be the ones who select the president because they're they are believing that they are able and capable of making those decisions. I believe the word is qualified. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so uh, there's a lot of like, I think Alexander Hamilton gets a lot of credit for the Electoral College mm-hmm. when like, I think he was just more so one to like speak out about it publicly. Mm-hmm especially in the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. His idea of the Electoral College, the one that he, like, defended, 
was this idea that like qualified citizens would elect the first tier of what would be an electoral college, meaning like, which his idea was that that would be the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. Those people would then elect the Senate. Oh. And then the Senate would be positions for life. Oh. And then they would elect a president. I know. That is fascinating. And a lot of people were like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm not into that. So the remnant became... The remnant of that idea became the kind of thing that we have today. Okay. And also the electoral college we have today was made at the same time of what they call the great compromise, which is when we decided that everybody would have the same amount of seats in the Senate mm-hmm. and then the house each would be based state on population would, would be based on population. Got it. Wild. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad it doesn't work like that yeah. because that doesn't feel right. that doesn't feel equal to me. No. That feels like a lot of a very small group of people with oh, a lot yeah. of power. That's like pyramid <laughs> structure power going on there. Literally. Yeah. So. Also, welcome to this episode of Schoolhouse Rock presented to you by Gaze at the National right, Park. Right. Anytime. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how when the people vote in a presidential election, while we are voting for a presidential candidate, we are in fact voting for a group of electors that are a part of the electoral college. But how do people become electors? So each state's two major political parties, currently being Democrat and Republican, each create a list of people to appoint as electors. When the greater population votes for the president, while it looks like we're voting for the presidential candidate, we're actually voting for that party's list of people or electors that they have created. And sometimes, depending on the voting district and state election laws, the names of those electors may appear on the voting ballot. Huh. So that doesn't happen in New Jersey. Yeah. I've we don't seen, see. Yeah. I, I don't know who our electors are. Yeah. It also never happened in Mississippi right. when I voted there. But I think you can find, I think it's public knowledge. Oh, it it's is not, not public absolutely knowledge. Absolutely public knowledge. Like Stacey you can Abrams, certainly find out. I believe, is an elector for Georgia. For and Georgia. I believe that Hillary Clinton is an elector for New York. Most of the time, people that have been selected as electors are known entities to the political party of the state. So since New Jersey has 14 electoral votes, which is also the same amount of representatives we have in the House, which is the same amount of congressional districts within the state, each political party chooses 14 electors. Based on who wins the popular vote, the electors from the winning party will cast their vote on the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December. That is strange. I know. I don't know why that date. Yeah. Unless you are the state of Nebraska and Maine, in which case the electoral votes are cast based on the majority in each congressional district. Right. They do like a split. Right. This is why, like, if you were watching the election coverage, you would see like diagonal lines through the state of Nebraska and through Maine because they they split their congressional districts. Exactly. Yeah. Not they don't. It's not like one. Not all. Right. Exactly. Not all electors are bound to vote. Or by the state, by the state's overall overall it's popular by the conditional vote. Congress, congressional district. It's by the congressional district's popular vote. Right, right. Which is something we saw happen this year in Nebraska, where three of the districts went Republican and one of their districts went Democrat, splitting the electoral votes three and one. Which that one in Nebraska was a flip because mm-hmm. last time it went right. red. Mm-hmm. Quick shout out to the National Archives who are serving as uh, the primary source for this trail mix. Now, let's look at the uh, question of do electors vote twice? 
meaning do they vote once in the general election mm. and then once in the electoral college election? Well, technically, each of these people do show up and vote on both of these days. When they are voting in the general election, they are not considered electors. They are, in fact, voting for a group of electors that they may or may not be a part of. Then later in December, if they are part of the winning party's group of electors, then they will show up and cast their vote in the electoral college vote. Now, that is some wild mumbo jumbo. I know. What is the system that our government is based upon? Well, now, there is nothing in the Constitution that requires any elector to vote in a certain way, but some states have laws that do require electors to vote based on the state's popular vote, Mm -hmm. though not every state has these laws. A political party can also require an elector to sign a pledge that they will vote in line with the party. And in 2020, the Supreme Court did pass a law saying that states could officially pass laws that can require electors to vote in line with the popular vote to avoid what they call, quote, faithless electors, also known as those that vote against how they were supposed to vote. And while no elector has ever been prosecuted for the way they have voted, states do have systems in place when it comes to faithless electors, which include disqualifying and fining an elector and replacing them with a substitute elector, which apparently happened a few times in 2016. I wonder why. (laughs) Did you know about this? Um, I think this was something that was talked about because I think we all freaked our geek when... I just remember you and I having like a lot of conversations about the Electoral College like after right. the Dark Lord was ascended to power. Well, <laughs> I mean, one of the things they talk about when right. it comes to the Electoral College is that part of the reason why the Electoral College was put into place, I don't know if this is actually like part of the reason or one of the reasons that they claim mm-hmm. is so that unqualified people aren't elected to public office. But the Electoral College doesn't necessarily save us from that. No. Um, the, it's uh, like a sh- which is something, shitty vetting process. Well, but it's something that they've said for a long time. They're right. like, the electoral process actually isn't this sort of, like, the idea was that it would give the people a vote. And then there, there was this whole thing that I was reading about Alexander Hamilton and the Founding Fathers when they were talking about the Electoral College and how, like, the attitude or uh, consensus of the people is something to consider mm-hmm. in the election of the pre- right mm. but how considerate that is literally a different time mm-hmm. it's a different time and now that's sort of not how it operates anymore mm-hmm. right and so like obviously things have to evolve and grow as we as a country with our own relationship to our democracy evolve and grow so the idea that like the electoral process is this like safety net mm-hmm. for if something um, unexpected happens in the voting turnout, that no longer is a thing. Right. Especially if we have states requiring electors to vote in the way of the... Faithfully, right. Um, But let's talk real quick about these electors in 2016. Great. The faithless electors, there were seven of them in total across the whole thing. Apparently, according to history, 99% of the time electors vote faithfully got it but seven of them were faithless electors in 2016 and um they were faithless in not voting for the candidate not in necessarily in favor of the other candidate but in favor of a third candidate oh they went third party well kind of okay so this is according to an article called 
which candidates did the seven faithless electors support by Julia Bacano, um, which was published on December 21st, 2016 on CBS News. So of those seven, five of them uh, were faithless to the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. Oh. And only two of them were faithless to Republican nominee Donald Trump at the time. Interesting. Yes. Uh, so one of the Democratic faithless electors was David Mulinix of Hawaii, who cast his vote for Bernie Sanders instead of Hillary Clinton. Okay. He also said that he thought that the Electoral College was outdated. Well, welcome to the world. Well, welcome to the world. Right. Four of the faithless electors came from Washington State, okay. which was the state won by Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, three of them cast their votes for Colin Powell. Interesting. Yeah. Acor- I mean, according to the Seattle Times. Sure. Who was a Republican, not on the ticket at all. <laughs> right. And then, Fascinating. The f- and then the fourth faithless elector uh, voted for Faith Spotted Eagle, a woman who was a member of the Yankton Sioux Nation. Oh, okay. And uh, she played a public role in the um, in opposing the Keystone and Dakota Access Pipeline. Great. Trump lost an elector in Texas to someone who voted for John Kasich. Okay. And then the other person, the other elector in Texas voted for Ron Paul. Got it. So that's fascinating to me. So then does the electoral like college math for that year then show like did the, does that reflect that you know what i mean like when we're thinking about the electoral votes that they have do those votes then do we see like john Kasich getting like one vote and like ran ron paul getting one vote and you know bernie getting one vote and then the rest are the large numbers because that's not something i've i've seen before but like if you've said we don't really see that throughout history. 99% of the time people are voting in line with what they're supposed to. Maybe we don't. Right, right. Apparently the official final tally for 2016 was Trump with 304 and Clinton with 227. Okay. And then those votes from the Electoral College go to Congress where they are then publicly counted one more time. Just exactly. Just because. Just because. Just because. Because <laughs> Congress doesn't have anything better to do. Right. Not at all. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about our feelings on the Electoral College, like, as it is right now. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels like just an unnecessary barrier. You know what I mean? Like, we have... Right. W- like, we have... It's antiquated. It's antiquated. We have many, many, many people electing, you know... Right. Or voting. Right. Over 150 million people voted in this America- in this presidential election this right. year. And so that's way more people than they had voting at the time that they sure. created the Electoral College. Right, right, right. This idea of it being a safety net, I just, I just, I, you know, I'm not a political scholar, but I just don't see it operating in that way right now. Obviously, one could say like, oh, it's really easy to say that because like, as someone who tends to vote Democratic mm-hmm. myself, you know, it's been a really long time since a Republican candidate won the popular vote. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, one could accuse me of just sitting here going like, oh, I don't really like the Electoral College because it's like a snafu system where someone could lose the popular vote and still win the presidency. Right. So to that, I say like, okay, I see what you're saying, but like, I don't necessarily see it now operating as 
like maybe it no longer operates as this sort of like safety net system. But I also don't see it operating as a sort of like maintain the balance of the scales kind of thing. No, I don't think like, so either. I don't think it behaves that way either. No, and I, I think when you think about, I mean, uh, I think voting in this country is complicated on a, a variety of levels. But to your point about the fact that Democrats have typically won the popular vote and lost the electoral or where they get hung up sometimes is that they lose the electoral, even though they've won the popular. I'm just like, well, if you want to talk about, you know, vote, voting problems, let's talk about gerrymandering districts, oh, Republicans, certainly. Oh, and yeah. like making yeah. it easier for you to like win state legislators and things like that. Right. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that's not the point is to say like, you know, let's cast the evil shadow over the Republican party. But no, I think the point no. is to say that like in essence, the system is made more complicated when it doesn't need to be. And there are, there are issues that are unfair um, yeah. in the way that votes are cast in the way that voting is allowed by certain people and not by others. There are issues of voter suppression. There are things, there are, there are big issues when it comes to the vote in this country. And especially for a country that has touted itself on its democracy and, and having free and fair elections, you know, I do feel like there are bigger problems, the Electoral College being one of them, but problems that need to be addressed so that it is more free and fair than it currently is. Because I don't think that that's something we should be continuing to tout when there right. are plenty of issues, especially voter suppression. So something that I'm struggling to find right here, because obviously I'm not a political scholar, is like, does each elector officially represent each one of those congressional districts mm -hmm. because like for example my question would be like did that elector from hawaii vote for bernie sanders because for some reason bernie sanders won the popular vote in that congressional district gotcha. you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i don't think that that happened right but i'm saying like would that elector then represent the vote of those people or just their own opinion anyway but that's what I'm saying, yeah. is I just feel like it doesn't behave in the way that we originally wanted it to, because yeah. the circumstances are different now. Right. And just, so it's time to evolve. Right. Just like daylight savings time. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of feelings about that. I do. Yep. You just don't like it getting dark early. No, when it's midnight at four o'clock, I'm <laughs> ready for bed. I agree. I agree. Let's end this trail mix with a game. What game are we playing today, Mike? We're just going to do some trivia because Great. who doesn't love trivia I about love trivia. our election processes and our um, our voting history in this country. Okay, we'll Great. see how I do. Great. Um, for 100, this Born in the USA singer's home state was the first to allow voting for women as its state constitution of 1776 left the gender language ambiguous and was then corrected in 1797 to include the words he or she. What is um, New Jersey? That's correct. So women had the right to vote in New Jersey for quite some time, which was interesting. Yeah. It was then revoked in 1807 and then given back to them. Right. Because they put it to referendum, didn't yep. they? Woo. Right. <laughs> Civil rights on referendum, everyone. <laughs> yep. Um, for 200, this Buckeye state's constitution has a quote, no idiots clause in its constitution stating that no idiot or insane person can vote. 
what is um, Ohio? Yes, fascinating. Woof, Ohio. Yeah, maybe time to change that. Yeah. Update your language, babes. All right, for 300, the political party's animal symbols were first developed by Thomas Nash, a political cartoonist for this periodical that sounds like it would be the magazine that summed up the last seven days in this city of John Brown's foiled raid. Is the city Boston? No. Is it Philadelphia? No. Is it Baltimore? No. Oh, I don't. What's the city's name? What is Harper's Ferry? But I was looking for Harper's Weekly. Oh. Didn't know that. Didn't know your history. <laughs> no, I didn't. That was like a precursor to the Civil War. That was like a, a major uprising that like was uh, quelled. No, no, no. I know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Now, but I couldn't think of the name. Yeah, that's okay. Well, I tried to clue you in as much best I, I know. Could. Thank you. I could have said it was. Uh, it sounds like the name of Kirsten Stewart's like terrible girlfriend <laughs> in <laughs> in Happiest, in Happiest season. season. Spoiler. Now alerts. you know how we feel yeah. about that movie. All right. Um, the election of 1876 was one that fully deci- wasn't fully decided until days prior to the inauguration as the electoral votes in Florida, of course. This Cajun state and this Palmetto state were hotly contested. Okay, what is Louisiana mm-hmm. was one of them? Mm-hmm. And then Palmetto state. Mm-hmm. What is Arkansas? No. Alabama? No. I don't know. What is South Carolina? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I don't know her. <laughs> That's where Lady G's from. The first woman to run for president was Victoria Woodhall, who ran in 1872. She got her start when this railroad tycoon and grandfather of the owner of the Biltmore estate backed her and her sister to open a brokerage firm. You could just give me the last name. Oh, what is Vanderbilt? That's correct. Who is Cornelius Vanderbilt? Beautiful. Great. Great. And that was our electorate, everyone. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. And we're here to remind you to vote early and vote often, and that democracy is always out there. And that your vote always counts, regardless of the electoral college. Always vote. Your vote is the vote that matters. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on the show, visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com. That's Gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. Mm-hmm.